Good afternoon from Washington, D.C. I'm Paul Kincaid, Director of Congressional Outreach for FMC, the Association of Former Members of Congress. I'd like to welcome all of you to our virtual roundtable. For those of you who have missed previous episodes, I'd invite you to visit our archives at www.usafmc.org sounds to check out our other programs and to subscribe to Virtual Roundtable as a podcast, either on Spotify or Apple. This is an interactive discussion today, so if you have a question at any time for our panel, simply click the Q&A button at the bottom of your Zoom screen, fill out your name and your question, and if we choose you, our moderator will call on you to ask your question over audio only to our panel. Again, anytime during the call, just click the Q&A button at the bottom center of your screen. Today, despite concerns being raised by a fleet of lawyers who specialize in conspiracy theory, the race for the president in 2020 is functionally over. Most independent analysts have long since called the race for president-elect for former Vice President Joseph Biden. While the General Services Administration has not yet ascertained his victory, allowing the presidential transition to begin, officials in the Congress and throughout government are preparing for the 46th President of the United States to be sworn in on January 20th here in Washington. What happens next, however, is still up in the air. President-elect Biden is focused on the intersection of four issues that are of international importance, COVID-19, the economic crisis it's caused, racial oppression and inequity, and the battle to reduce the impact of global climate change. The agenda he'll create to address those issues can be in part completed from the White House. However, for much of what the president-elect wants to accomplish, he'll need funding from Congress to achieve. It is with that in mind that we start today's discussion about looking finally beyond our election cycle toward the end of 2020 and the beginning of the Biden administration. We have a wonderful panel of four former United States senators who will analyze the next two months the 100 days after January 20th, and what comes after. Here to introduce those senators and to moderate is FMC's CEO, Pete Weichlein. Pete, the floor is yours. Well, thank you, Paul, for getting us started and welcome to everyone out there in Zoom land. Uh, it is truly an honor for me to be joined by this outstanding bipartisan panel of former senators. Bipartisan, not just because we have two Democrats and two Republicans, but more importantly, bipartisan because these are former legislators known for their willingness and ability to cross the political aisle, work with colleagues from the other party and come together to develop pragmatic solutions to the many challenges our country faces. And that in a nutshell is what our conversation today is all about. We're looking beyond the 2020 election and we're going to discern what those being governed should expect from those doing the governing. To do so, I really appreciate the time, insight, and expertise that this outstanding panel will provide. Mary Landry represented Louisiana as a Democrat in the Senate from 1997 until 2015. Tim Hutchinson, a Republican from Arkansas, served in the Senate from 1997 until 2003, and before that in the House of Representatives from 1993 until 1997. He also has been an incredibly active and supportive board member of FMC for a number of years now. And I thank you, Senator, for that invaluable engagement. And I realized that uh, you're having some Wi-Fi problems. So hopefully we'll see you soon, but uh, I'm, I'm sure we can definitely hear from you. Bob Kasten from uh, Wisconsin served in the Senate as a Republican from 1981 until 1993, and in the House from 1975 until 1979. And last, but certainly not least, Bill Nelson, who as a Democrat represented Florida in the Senate from 2001 until 2019, and also served in the House of Representatives from 1979 until 1991. Again, I'm so honored to be with all of you and thank you so much for your time today. For our audience members, as Paul already mentioned, we'll try to reserve the last 15 or 20 minutes of our panel for audience questions. 
and you can do so by typing your questions into the Q&A feature on the bottom of your Zoom screen. We'll try to call on you by unmuting your mic, but we won't turn on your camera. So if you're sitting at home in your pajamas, you have absolutely nothing to worry about. So let's start with the big picture and then drill things down a bit. Here we are two weeks after election night and things are still in flux. While the outcome of the presidential election seems clear, Donald Trump has not conceded and few expect the phrase, congratulations to President-elect Biden to ever leave his lips. In addition, we now have two crucial Senate runoffs in Georgia that will determine the balance in the Senate. And also by the time all votes are counted, a record 150 million plus Americans participated in our election and found a way, either by mail-in ballot or by standing for hours in a line during a pandemic to make their voices heard. So I wanna make that the jumping off point for our conversation. We as a country um, have come together and have made our voices heard. We applaud historic citizen engagement, but those numbers also show a deep division. Senator Landrieu, if I may start with you, when I look at your home state of Louisiana, I see a map that played out all over the country, deep red in the rural areas and blue in around the major cities. What does that tell you and where does it leave us? Well, first of all, um, I'm so happy to be joined by these wonderful colleagues and look forward to the discussion. So thank you all for inviting me. Um, you know, I've been proud of the Democratic Party for many years now uh, because of the diversity of our party. And we reach across racial lines and backgrounds and young people and older people. And I think the focus of the Democratic Party recently on racial justice and inequity, economic strength, um, both in urban, suburban and rural areas, you know, and other policies that help pull our nation together. Um, I'm proud of that. And it's difficult because our party is very, very diverse. And so I'm not saying the Republicans have it easy you know, to kind of keep their party moving maybe in the same direction, but the, Demo you know, the Democratic Party, because of our diversity, racial diversity and economic diversity is, is particularly challenging. And if anybody can do this, Joe Biden can. Uh, it's very disappointing to see the uh, current president not be respectful and, and abide by the traditions that every president, Republican and Democrat in the past have. But if anyone can manage through that and around it, it's Joe Biden because of his experience. So I'll leave it at that. There are so many other things to be said, but um, it's gonna be challenging. But you know, we're, I'm proud of Georgia, proud of Texas, came close in Florida. I mean, we're building a great, strong, you know, big tent party. Mary, I think I agree with 90% of what you just said, and except I'm not so sure it's going to be easier for the Republicans than the Democrats. But, uh, <laughs> but well, uh, I, my, well, sense I don't know. <laughs> my sense is this is going to be a very complicated, tough couple of years for, for both political parties and for our country, uh, beginning with the fact that we're facing some real challenges overseas, some real challenges domestically, and uh, obviously a budget deficit that's just gone crazy and that we're not talking about anymore. But we're here to talk more about politics than policy uh, today. But we're facing a tough, I think we're facing a tough, uh, a tough couple of years for our country. And uh, I, I, you know, I'm optimistic we're gonna get through it, but uh, it's, gonna be, it's gonna be difficult. I think what we end up with uh, two weeks after the election's over that 
our country is still a moderate, maybe slightly leaning right country. It's not a hard left country. It's not a hard right country. I think that uh, it's interesting that uh, unlike Reagan and other Republican presidents in recent years, Trump had not only zero coattails, but if you will, negative coattails. In other words, he was the lowest um, uh, vote getter in most congressional districts in Wisconsin. And he was the lowest vote getter in a lot of other places around the country. In other words, the congressional uh, candidate, including a number of Republican challengers, uh, beat Donald Trump in those congressional districts. So my, my point is that uh, although Trump lost, uh, it wasn't a bad year for moderate Republicans or for leaning conservative Republicans, uh, both at the congressional level where we picked up maybe uh, 12 to 14 seats, we'll see. Uh, but also importantly for something I wanna talk about a minute in a minute, redistricting. Um, importantly for redistricting, uh, the Republicans held on to and actually picked up seats in many state legislatures, including Wisconsin, where we picked up two seats in the Republican Senate. But if you kind of go through and look at, uh, at Pennsylvania, look at Wisconsin, look at Ohio, look at Florida, look at Arizona, look at New Hampshire, um, Texas, Pennsylvania, a couple of key states, um, and think of what might happen or what's going to happen you know, in, in uh, two years, we're gonna have redistricting and uh, New York's gonna lose some seats or one seat, California might lose one. Uh, the growth is gonna be in the South and in the West. And I think it's gonna be very interesting as these seats are, are uh, redrawn. Uh, we've got a Supreme Court that looks like it's not gonna interfere with what the state legislatures do. And I think we're gonna see some very kind of complicated redrawing of the congressional districts and uh, that might also compound some of the tensions that we feel. But generally speaking, I say it's a moderate country. The Democrats chose the most moderate of the whole group of, of, uh, of Democratic challengers, and he won. Um, I think I mean, it's clear that uh, Joe Biden is not Bernie Sanders. Joe Biden is not AOC. Uh, Joe Biden, particularly for those of us that know him, and that is everyone on this call, um, Joe Biden got pulled to the left, uh, but you know we'll see. So just in the next year, maybe even the next six months, I would encourage people to watch two or three things. Number one, will Joe Biden be Joe Biden that the four of us know, or has he been pulled permanently to the left because he can't deal with with the with with is the, the left-right mix, or I should say the left-moderate mix in the Democratic Party. I don't know the answer to that, but we should know in six months. And the first two indicators are gonna be whether or not, uh, are, are gonna be the cabinet that he picks. It's gonna be we, we, to see whether the cabinet is based on kind of left-wing, AOC, uh, Justice Democrat, identity politics, or the cabinet is gonna be based on the people that Joe Biden is, is used to working with. And uh, from everything we can see right this minute, it's gonna be the latter, uh, beginning with, his, with Ron Klain and the other people that he's picked so far. Um, it looks like he's gonna stick with the people that he's been working with, which is I think probably good for our country. If he ends up by 
going the other way on a number of cabinet choices. Um, I think it's going to be hard for the cabinet. I think it's going to be hard for Biden. And I think it's going to be worse for the country. Um, then finally, I just want to comment that the, the problem, and no one actually on this call has that problem or has had that problem, because we're not congressmen and we're not in, we're not in districts that can be drawn and redrawn. And, and, uh, but there's a, what's happening in the Democratic Party right now is primaries coming from the left. And to a degree in the Republican Party, primaries coming from the right. If we just go out forward, and I'd love to see my colleagues react to this, if we go out forward uh, to 2022 and look at those congressional districts, um, the danger for an incumbent Democrat who wants to be a Joe Biden, I'll call him a Joe Biden Democrat for the, the time being, is a primary coming from his left, just as a danger for a, a moderate Republican is a primary coming from his right. But in those districts where Democrats choose to vote, if you will, kind of middle of the road, labor union, moderate Democrat, but don't get wound up in defund the police, don't get wound up in fracking, don't get wound up in a Green New Deal, don't get wound up in some of those other issues. How dangerous is their primary threat coming from the left? And if that primary threat starts to develop this year or early in the election year 2022, it can really upset any chances for working together and it could upset chances for the Democrats and the Republicans in the House to work together. And it could also upset the leadership in the, uh, in the House of Representatives. So if I look ahead, I think we wanna look and see, number one, what the Biden cabinet looks like, and number two, see if there starts to be threats of primaries or announced primaries against incumbent Democratic congressmen and congresswomen who are in moderate to left-leaning districts. But that's just kind of for a teaser to start, and uh, then we'll go from here. Thanks. And, and if I may, um, Senator Hutchinson, in the hopes that you can hear us and that we can hear you, uh, I'd, I'd love to pick up on what Senator Kasten just mentioned, uh, looking at a potential Biden cabinet. Um, can you give us some insight as to uh, what your Republican colleagues will be looking for and what, what might be the, the Rubicon that uh, they'd rather not um, have a cabinet cross? Okay, Paul, can you hear me? Yes. And uh, I, I've changed locations, so I'm not recommending that you see me, but you might be able to, the, the Wi-Fi might be working now. So uh, let me um, make a few observations. I, I, like Mary, am very glad to join my colleagues and uh, to be able to see them and uh, to, to hear their thoughts and their perspectives. Uh, I think on your question and specific, specifically on the cabinet, uh, much of that's going to be determined by what happens in the Georgia runoffs. If the Republicans maintain control in the Senate, as history would indicate, they probably will. They, they usually overperform in the runoffs. All they need to do is win one of those two seats. Then there'll be no one uh, confirmed by the U.S. Senate without Mitch McConnell and the Republicans uh, being agreeable to it. That, that's going to really, I think, compel 
uh, Joe Biden to put forth names that are more to the middle. Uh, I think they'll provide him a lot of latitude. They're not going. A president ought to have the right to, to pick his cabinet. But if they're too far out, I think you you could see the Senate fight over some of those. I was thinking as I look at the uh, election, a few observations. America remains a very divided and almost equally divided country between red and blue, between urban and rural. And so uh, I, I guess I agree with Bob that we would be middle right, middle left, not to the extremes, but nonetheless, I think we're, we are very divided and probably more to the extremes than we've been in the past, but the difference between the rural and the urban. And then I would observe that uh, there was no blue wave and a blue wave had been roundly predicted. Uh, and so to some extent, I do disagree with Bob in his statement that the president didn't have any coattails. He's absolutely accurate that there were congressional districts where the congressional candidates outperformed the head of the ticket. But the very fact that Republicans picked up that dozen or so seats in the House, there were a lot of called Trump districts represented by Democrats in the House that lost their seats because in fact, Trump did have influence on those congressional races in the red states. And then I would observe this, and I think somebody needs to say it, the polling industry stands thoroughly discredited. And I'm just amazed that we keep quoting them. The media keeps citing them, even post-election, they keep talking about the polls. The polls were so so far off, and they continue to be. Uh, they were in Wisconsin. Uh, they certainly were in some of these Senate races. Or Susan Collins, she won in a route, but they had predicted she'd be routed. Uh, Lindsey Graham, right up to the end, they were saying he was gonna lose badly. He won handily, and you could go on and on. These polls were so far off, and it is a kind of insidious uh, voter suppression, because if it's a cold, wintry day in Wisconsin, no offense, Bob, and it's election day, your decision whether you want to stand an hour in a polling line may be determined by wh whether it's a close race or not a close race. And if the polls are saying your candidate's 10 points behind, you may say he's going to lose anyway. I'm not going to spend that out. But Tim, do you just think that do you just think the Democratic pollsters were wrong or do you think the Republican pollsters are wrong? I said the polling industry. I think all pollsters are wrong. And I don't know what they're doing wrong. And I don't I don't know what changes they should make. I'm not an expert on that. But they are discredited. They they were roundly, they were wildly wrong beyond the but you couldn't but you couldn't I don't I'm not just I agree with you, and I mean to just jump in here, but yeah, they were both wrong on both sides. Fox polls were wrong, MSNBC polls were wrong, everybody's right. polls were really off, but I don't think it was voter suppression. I mean, that's taken it to a whole nother level. I just wanted to say that, but I mean, I, I agree with you generally, the polling was off. Well, I think, in my opinion, it is a kind of voter suppression that the pollsters- So you think it was maliciously done? That's you think it was result. maliciously done? No, I said intentionally or unintentionally, that is the result, that it, it suppresses. Um, it it discourages people if they think their candidate's turnout. not going to win. It could affect. It could affect voter turnout. So let me be more positive. Well, I don't know if it's positive or not. I think Americans, we can conclude Americans generally like divided government. And the fact that... So. 
this is going, there's going to be more checks and balances continued, I, I suspect. And uh, I, I don't know how a voter goes in and deliberately says, I want divided government, but that seems to be the jury decision of the American people that they don't really like one party controlling everything. And then I will conclude with what Paul started with. It was a vote for democracy. The overwhelming voter turnout, over 150 million Americans. Uh, democracy is, is healthy and strong in America and we should take heart in that. I'll stop there. And, and Senator Nelson, if I may ask you, having served with both President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris, to this notion of divided government, how, how crucial now is this Senate experience and these personal relationships that the new administration is, is bringing to the table? Um, not just as we're looking at cabinet posts, but, but really to, to, to think big and, and, and address um, horrible challenges like the pandemic. It's very important. Uh, first of all, I want to say to all of our colleagues here, it's great to see you, and I want you to know I miss you. Uh, Tim, I miss seeing you in the weekly prayer breakfast, and Mary, I wish I, I miss uh, seeing you <laughs> as we saw each other every day working on the Gulf of Mexico, and sometimes when we had to cross swords uh, with regard to trying to drill off of the coast of Florida. <laughs> Uh, who are a very strong protector of that coast, Bill Nelson. <laughs> I'll tell you, Mary is the most formidable foe. <laughs> we think of D's versus R's here. I had to take on another D. Uh, and I tell you, uh, I learned to keep my pockets sewed up uh, and don't turn my back because Mary knew just like uh, those Louisiana Cajuns how to do it. All right, let me uh, address the question. I believe that because of what is facing this country, the virus and the depleted economic condition of the country, uh, that we have elected the right person if he has any chance of bringing people together for many of the reasons that you all have already articulated, but of which we all know this personality of Joe Biden. He is so good and he is so genuine in his personal relationships with others. Uh, it's, it's very typical, uh, for example, that Joe will uh, go into a room and he'll see someone that looks like uh, they're seeking uh, his help and he'll just zero in on that person. And I think uh, we've all had that experience with him. Um, by the way, my wife just turned off all the lights. So I, I hope I'm still- We can still see you. You're looking good, Bill. You're looking good. Thanks, Grace. <laughs> <laughs> she's in talking on the phone so she's not hearing you I'll get up and switch them on when somebody else starts talking but um, this I don't know if this is in fact a time that Joe can do it 
unless Mitch will in fact cooperate. If Mitch will reach back. <laughs> uh, and I, I would think uh, we've all served with Mitch. He's a wonderful person. Uh, his wife is a wonderful person. Uh, and uh, I think Mitch is just going to have to rise above uh, a bunch of this. He's got a number two that is an absolute solid person, John Thune. I had the privilege of working with him on the Commerce, Science, and Transportation Committee. Uh, and uh, if, uh, if, if they see that it is the country's interest, uh, I know Joe Biden can do a deal with them. And uh, that's what I hope. And I just hope people will recognize they've got to put the country first instead of the party. And Paul, no, it seems let me just like jump that in might here real happening. quick. I just want to jump in here real quick, Bob, just for a second, because there are just one or two real quick things I want to follow up with Tim and what you said. First of all, you know, and I, these are all my friends, and Tim knows this, and Bob knows this, and, and, and Bill. But Tim, I'm not sure I agree with you that our democracy is strong. I think for certain, our people felt strongly about expressing their vote. And we had a record turnout of voters, maybe the highest in 100 years. But I stood in horror here for four years watching our democracy be peeled, you know, layer by layer by layer by layer to it hinged on one Republican Secretary of State in Georgia that had the guts to stand up to Lindsey Graham and Donald Trump and the entire crazy wing, let me just say, of the Republican Party that doesn't include Tim or Bob, but there's a crazy wing that is disrespectful of the law, does not follow the Constitution. And so while you all are worried about the Democratic Party holding together, I'm worried if the Republican Party will find its spine, the leaders. The democracy is hanging on one Secretary of State in Georgia polling commissioners in like some you know county in Detroit when the Republican senators and the Republican House members just like whistle past the graveyard and let Trump get away with murder. My question is, where is the Republican party? Is this a Trump party or is it a Republican party? I don't even recognize the Republican party today. Now, maybe people voted for it. I'm not sure what they're voting for. And I wanna be respectful because you know it's not what I would vote for. I would vote for Donald Trump if he was the last person on the planet. But what is the Republican party? Do they stand for free trade or no trade? Do they stand for fiscal discipline or no fiscal discipline? Cause you've wrecked the hell out of the budget and you were a pro-trade party, then you gave that up because whatever Trump says, that's what you all are. So while I can criticize the Democratic Party, and I realize we, we have a hard time keeping our little group, our big group together, I can't sit here and just listen to you all say, oh, the Republican Party is just in great shape and democracy is just perfect in America because Trump has shredded it and elected officials on the Republican side have stood by quietly and let him do it. So my question is, what does the Republican Party stand for? And bipartisanship is one thing, but it's more fundamental than that. And so praise God that Joe Biden has the patience to try to piece the democracy back together, like the rule of law, you know, civility, 
you know, not bullying people and not shouting down everyone and tweeting and being ugly and nasty. And the Republican leaders saying nothing about it, nothing. Uh, I'd love for Senator Hutchinson to chime in here if he can still hear and see us and, and, and maybe phrase it this way. Um, are we gonna see a different approach once those two seats in Georgia are decided? Because um, clearly right now, that's a huge piece of the puzzle um, for the Republicans, how to protect those two seats. Senator? Well, <clears throat> clearly uh, Mary and I disagree on this. I do think um, our institutions have held strongly. They did? Uh, the last four years, but they've held strongly throughout the history of the Republic. Um, I, I think that the, the voter turnout is one expression of a strong democracy. So we just have to agree to disagree. And um, when it comes to what we can accomplish, I, I think the strong feelings uh, that you've heard today uh, reflect the difficulty it is in getting, in, in working together in the Senate. Um, I think you, you can find areas, and there are going to be areas, Bill's, I think, absolutely right, that um, that, that uh, Joe Biden um, has a temperament that, uh, that uh, uh, is going to be conducive to cooperation. And if you look back to the Obama administration, it was Joe Biden who was often sent on the on the mission of dealing with Mitch McConnell on important policy issues and the need to, to round up the votes in the Senate. So he's experienced at that. I think if you look at COVID relief, definitely something that has to happen, a stimulus bill. I think that's an area that, that we're going to find bipartisan cooperation. I think infrastructure, something that should have long happened but I, and much needed, but I think that's an area that we can find um, a spirit of bipartisanship and cooperation and, and see some real, some real things accomplished. I think there are additional steps on criminal justice reform and prison reform. Uh, the First Step Act was an important bipartisan step and, and a, a, a big achievement, but there's much more to be done there and that can be done and should be done on a bipartisan basis. So I'd like to be optimistic, and I am optimistic that uh, that we're going to see a productive time in the Congress. I think we're going to know that um, relatively soon before Easter, because we're going to see whether the two sides can come together. And I think the most obvious one, I agree with you completely, Tim, is is uh, the COVID uh, stimulus, whatever we're calling COVID relief. And if they can come up with a proposal that's somewhere between where the House has been and where the administration and the Senate has been and pass something real uh, to help people that are in trouble and they're clearly in trouble and clearly something needs to be passed. Ideally, it would have been passed, uh, uh, you know, months ago. But uh, I think we can, I think we can, uh, I hope that, that that happens. The next thing that'll happen, or maybe before, maybe after, but is, is the kind of cabinet that, uh, that the president proposes. And as I think uh, the president-to-be proposes. And so I think that uh, we've all agreed that uh, Biden, if the cabinet is like Biden, it's gonna be one set of issues. And I think that McConnell is gonna work with the administration and the, and, and the uh, 
Republican Senate will confirm, uh, hopefully with strong bipartisan votes, many of the uh, many of the cabinet or all of the cabinet that uh, that Biden will propose. Uh, but if Biden comes out with, as I said earlier, with with uh, strong on the hard left identity politics, justice Democrat side, I think then there's going to be some difficulty uh, with McConnell. There's gonna be some difficulty with the Republican party. And I hope that doesn't happen because that could set the stage for difficulty for the next year and a half. So it, it's the question as to whether or not there can be cooperation between Mitch McConnell and between president-to-be Biden is whether is, is what order these questions come before the Senate and what Biden is going to be asking for. Well, I think Joe is going to do exactly what he said he was going to do. He's going to uh, pick a cabinet and other executive appointments that look like America. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, that's where uh, Mitch and John Thune are, are just going to uh, either they're going to go along and, and work with Joe or they're not. And uh, my hope and my prayer is, uh, assuming that Mitch is still the majority leader after the Georgia election, uh, it's my hope and prayer that he will uh, go along. Um, we'll get to audience questions in, in, in just a couple of minutes. Uh, but Senator Landry, you chaired the Small Business Committee. Um, what what is needed out there right now? What what do our small businesses across the country need uh, as soon as possible from from uh, this Congress and the Senate? Well, real quick, one I want to remind everyone: I got to the Senate three terms, all through runoff elections, and won every single one against the odds. So Democrats can win runoffs because you know it's been done before, and I think the Democrats have a really good chance in Georgia, because as people, both Democrats, independents, and Republicans in Georgia, look at the outrageous, shameful, disgraceful um, attitude of this president, I hope they will say, you know, we're gonna send a real message and we're gonna vote for Democrats who are respectful of the law, the constitution and civility, because he has just gone overboard. Number two, um, small business. I think the most important thing, and you know, I don't know how my colleagues feel, but getting a handle on this virus, this runaway virus is so important for all businesses, small, medium, and large. And that's part of the problem with the, you know, the horrible uh, job that Donald Trump did on this, he didn't do his job. And as soon as Joe Biden gets in, he can figure out you know, how to get this vaccine out there because when people feel safe and they feel like, oh my goodness, I, you know, I can get the vaccine and then I can go back to work or run my business. So that's a number one is getting that vaccine distributed as quickly as possible, working respectfully with governors, not sending, no, he did not do this, but not having governors kidnapped you know, or saying that you're not going to send, you know, uh, medicine to 
York, like our current president. Joe Biden's going to work with all the governors and try to get them moving, all the mayors, not disrespecting the mayors like Trump does, and work with rural urban areas. That's the most important thing to get the economy moving again is to get the virus under control. And then I think another very robust round of, um, of loans, you know, forgivable loans with the right restrictions that both Democrats and Republicans worked on, they finally got it right, you know, to try to get money into the hands of these small businesses to avoid, you know, a, a more of an economic downturn. And I can tell you, they're hanging on by a thread out there. I mean, it is a thread. And everybody wants to focus on the airlines and I understand their business and I know the hotel, but it's these small businesses, these cleaners, my name, in all of our neighborhoods, we can see it. You don't have to read a report about it. You can see all your restaurants have closed, a lot of your bars have closed, the cleaners. So I hope that Congress, because that's the backbone of our economy and it just breaks your heart that people have worked so hard their whole life to build their business. So. That's what I would be focused on. And I definitely think Tim and Bob and Bill, we could do that together because there's a good bipartisan support for small business, um, I think. And that would be smart of Joe to focus on that. And, and Senator Hutchinson, given your background with the health committee, uh, we do have Moderna, we do have Pfizer developing a vaccine at warp speed, um, and uh, I, I think it's unprecedented in, in history how quickly uh, these vaccines have been developed, uh, tested, and are now before the um, uh, FDA for their review. Um, how, how can we now take it from a vaccine having been developed to actually getting it into arms, so to speak, and, and, and helping our frontline workers at hospitals across the country um, to, to be able to face this crisis with a vaccine in their system? Yeah, I think, I think uh, history will record that uh, Operation Warp Speed will have been one of the great accomplishments, one of the great achievements of the Trump administration. Um, this is truly remarkable uh, that in an eight-month period of time, we've got uh, two vaccines on the verge of uh, approval and, and, a, and a bunch in the pipeline. This has been a, a, an incredibly great achievement. Now, uh, you're absolutely right that the distribution and the implementation of, uh, of getting this into the arms of the American people, convincing them that it is safe and effective, that's a great challenge. Now, I believe, I, and I have heard numerous uh, officials from NIH and from uh, the FDA uh, on air, and as well as uh, members of the task force out talking about um, a well-planned, well-thought-out distribution um, uh, plan for these vaccines when they receive approval. So uh, I think that will be seamless uh, as we move from uh, as we move into December and January, I think that the, the distribution is going to be as successful as has been the, um, the development of the vaccines. So I'm very optimistic that, you know, in, in the month of uh, December, we're likely to see 20 million to those who are most uh, vulnerable, the frontline workers, uh, the first responders, that as we move into January and February, there's going to be the most vulnerable, the, the aged, the infirm, those that are in uh, nursing homes and assisted living are going to be prioritized. And this is going to be a, a, a 
I think one of the great success stories and truly there is light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, it's nothing, it is, it's a scary proposition. We've got to be careful until that vaccine is well distributed. But uh, it, this is a great American success story. Well, Tim, I think that's very premature. And just as a point of fact, Pfizer wasn't even a part of Warp Speed. They had nothing to do with it, took no government money, could not cooperate. They came out first with the vaccine. And as Ron Klain said the other day, vaccines don't save lives, vaccinations do. So why, why would the president of the United States knowing how important it is to get vaccines in the arms of people in Arkansas, Louisiana, Florida, and Wisconsin, not even pick up the phone and invite Joe Biden to start working with them. How is it going to be seamless? They won't even answer the phone. I mean, it, I, I don't mean to be disrespectful of your opinion. It's just it's not factual. <laughs> it's just not factual. I'm not being disrespectful to you. I'm saying it's not factual. So maybe we can hope that by some miracle on January 20th, the experts can miraculously understand what the Trump plan is, which is no plan. It, this, this administration is gonna go down in the trash bin of history. And it's him, it's not you, Tim or Bob, it's him. And I wish that you all could separate yourselves from him for God's sake and, you know, just leave it at that. Well, I think I mean, what, Tim, what Tim said is they've, they've, they've made a lot of progress and they have, whether or not Pfizer or Modena, or all the different people, we've made a lot of progress. And I think that the test is going to be whether or not in the first several months, we're able to have some kind of a COVID stimulus bills, small business targeted, whatever. And then also whether we can do the distribution of the vaccines. And uh, if we can do that on a bipartisan basis, that will start to make up for some of the differences that we see right this minute, which I, I agree with you are significant. But the, the fact is that we have gotten through the development of the vaccines quickly, and we can be proud of what the drug companies and what our country has done so far. And now we just have to get the, the distribution right. If we can work together on distribution, and we can work together on a, uh, on a stimulus package that would be a compromise, then I think we'd be setting the stage. We'd be setting the, the, the floor, if you will, for compromise on other kinds of things going into 2021 and 2022. So I mean, I think we can be optimistic. And I think uh, notwithstanding, we'll put you as undecided on Donald Trump, but, uh, but the, 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 uh, <laughs> the, the, the overall, issue is we have made progress and we're in a point where if the partisanship can start to end a little bit, we can start and, and if both Biden and McConnell work together, I think we can start on a productive several months. And that's what I also hope for. Well, I, we, we are the first to put a man on the moon. So uh, we are the ones who can solve this problem, which is a really sloppy and sad transition to Senator Nelson. Um, Senator, uh, let me give you the last word before we go to audience questions, because it's, it's, it's obvious that there are uh, disagreements on policy, but respect and friendship amongst the four of you. Is, is that 
a lost art on Capitol Hill. Um, just the other day, Senator Ted Cruz used some choice words to describe a colleague. Um, if I look at the four of you, you can disagree without being disagreeable. Well, we are in uh, something different now because there's a crudeness, there's a, a lack of civility, there's uh, a lack of respect, uh, there's a lack of what we've all known growing up, uh, the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you when it comes to our politics. Now, the history of this country has always had a very ribald politics in your face, but it's more complicated now because of the use of technology and instant communication. There's not the cooling saucer to let the hot coffee cool off. The elimination of uh, a lot of the checks and balances in the Senate that caused it to be a much more deliberative body. Uh, the lack of regular order uh, when the two sides can't come together on things that are so obvious, such as uh, infrastructure needs. Uh, both sides would vote unanimously for it but just getting it to the floor in final passage form where each side is trying to get their own selfish interest and resist the final package until we, we got to change this. Now, typically what happens, you know, when things bad like this, along comes something in history that forces people to come together. I don't, I don't wish that kind of humongous event upon us, but I think we ought to start examining ourselves and our ethics and our values and how we treat each other. Seems to me that's the introspection that this country is gonna need. So let me now go to our audience. I know Paul has a couple of questions lined up already. Uh, Paul, is the best way to do this for you to uh, unmute your microphone and, and ask our questioners to pose their question? Uh, sure, Peter, you can just read them uh, off the chat screen there. Well, then uh, the privilege of the moderator gets go, means I get to pick the first question. So I'll go to a fellow Floridian, uh, uh, Congressman Cliff Stearns, who is a former President of the association has a question uh, focused on China. Um, Cliff, the floor is all yours. Yeah. Well, Pete, can you hear me okay? Absolutely. Let me thank all the four senators for their participation. The Association of Former Members of Congress has great uh, uh, wide influence, and we really appreciate their participation. And I think uh, it's an accommodation for you to do this. My question is really basically dealing with China. How should the Biden administration deal with China? Uh, and it's probably Republican or Democrat senator probably have some distinct uh, uh, views on this. But I, I presume, uh, judging from the legislation I've seen on both sides of the aisle, uh, the lead act that was offered by Menendez in the Senate, that there's sort of an agreement on dealing with China. So I'm hopeful that uh, all four of you might just touch base on uh, quickly on how you felt we should deal with China under the new Biden administration. Thank you. 
Bob, you want to go take that since you just were yeah. in China not too long ago? And well, I'll be happy to jump the three in. Of, Cliff, the three of us were all together on a trip. The three of us were together in China. Mary I think the and, last and, trip they let us go on, Bob, before right, COVID came. Right, and we were in Wuhan. And we but, were in uh, Wuhan. So thank anyway, God we left, honey, or we would have brought the damn virus back to the U.S. I, I think that, I think that uh, uh, both parties uh, made some mistakes uh, 20 years ago in terms of believing that economic development in China would lead to uh, them being a more solid citizen of the world, would lead to reform and democratization. I think that now we see that that has not happened. And I think we all now are in agreement. And I think you're, you're right. Republicans and Democrats agree that uh, it's, 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 it's time uh, to be stronger with regard to our relationship with China. And I think whether it's uh, military questions having to do with the South China Sea, whether it's issues having to do with Hong Kong, whether it's issues having to do with human rights and Uyghurs, in all these three cases and many, many more, the uh, intellectual property, uh, patent theft, et cetera, I think that there's almost complete agreement between Republicans and Democrats. And I think this is maybe the best opportunity in foreign policy for the Biden administration to work with Republicans, both in the House and the Senate. Tim, I'd just jump in here too, Bob, and say really quickly, and give Tim a word, because we were all together on the trip. I will give Trump credit for one or two things. So here you go. <laughs> um, I do think that he helped us push the reset on China. And I think that history will reflect that despite all of his other failings. And I think Bob's correct. I think there's a real opportunity for Democrats and Republicans like to rethink, just like Bob said, this whole thing, particularly focused on, um, you know, um, pushing down their um, propensity for intellectual property theft and technology theft and use that like with our new energy infrastructure. And we could maybe align ourselves a little bit more strongly with India and our other partners, Japan, South Korea, that sort of thing. And there's a real broad range of issues that could be done. And so I want to just agree with Bob and think that's really one positive way that we could work. Now, having said that, I don't think we want to make China an enemy, but I do think a reset's important. And I think we're in the posture for that now. And I will agree with both of my colleagues. Uh, I think there, this is an area of bipartisanship and uh, uh, on foreign policy, that's important. I, I, I agree with Bob that we need to take a, a tougher stance. And I do, I, I think that there will be bipartisan agreement. And as much as intellectual property, economic abuses, I hope and I, I think that there will be a greater emphasis upon the human rights abuses that are ongoing in um, in China. And then I did before I leave before I leave this comment, I want to also associate myself with the comments that Bill made about the workings of the Senate and the the great need for civility. I hope it's not some big crisis too, Bill, but uh, something's got to bring it bring it back so that we can work together again. Uh, and, uh, and not just hear about how it used to be in the old days, but uh, we've got to have that for the good of the country. Let me try to squeeze in another question or two before we run out of time. Um, Peter Lefkin, who is a longtime friend and partner of the former Members Association, 
and is with uh, a great uh, German company, Allianz. Uh, Peter Lefkin, the floor is all yours. Uh, the question really relates to uh, the, the controversy at hand today, which is the qualifications of electors and the pressure that is being placed upon electors to not vote according to their state majorities. And it'd be interesting in our observations. I mean, uh, many people, of course, have not been surprised by the litigation strategy being pursued by President Trump. And many Republicans have sort of given it sort of tacit acceptance, probably with the knowledge that he's mostly going to be unsuccessful, particularly being led by Mayor Giuliani as his chief legal counsel. But this other matter of today of sort of direct intercession with electors is one that um, in Michigan and probably other places as well, that has some cause, come some consternation. Is there ever going to be a red line drawn on this election? I would like to say, I'd like to respond. I hope so, because this democracy, I do not, I just respectfully disagree with Tim. I think it's on the verge. Uh, it's It's been shredded in a lot of different ways. And this is not disrespectful to the people of our country. I don't even know how they're surviving. I'm, my, my, um, Criticism goes straight to the leadership, including myself. So I will just put myself, all elected leaders have to be held accountable. And some are gonna shine and some are gonna go down in history pretty, pretty poorly. I will say this, the Republican party stands up all the time, and Bob, you know this, yelling and screaming about frivolous lawsuits, frivolous lawsuits, trial lawyers, you know, no, you know, you just can't go to court on anything. Democrats, you just let people go to court on everything. We have to stop these frivolous lawsuits. And now you have a president filing frivolous lawsuits all over the country and no one says a word. And before anyone says, Mary, they're not frivolous, please provide one, one, one example in one state, in any county, before we get off this call, that there were a number, let's say more than 200 votes, you're going to need 2,000, but I'll give you 200, where you know for sure or you suspect have good evidence that there was a fraud. If not, then don't say a word to me because I know that these are all frivolous because nobody said anything and everybody in the country is looking for something. So if Republicans don't think that Democrats should be able to go into court and file frivolous lawsuits because somebody got in an accident, beat the hell out of their neck, but until they go in and show that their neck is literally off their body, they can't get into court, please don't come talk to me about the president being able, or Rudy Giuliani being able to file frivolous lawsuits. So number one, you know, he should have his uh, legal license taken away from him. And I'm serious. The courts will do this. You can't pretend like you're a lawyer and go in and make stuff up. That's like against the law. And so hopefully somebody will come and take care of him. So I don't know. I'm so proud of some of these Republicans. Let me just say Republicans. Yes. In Arizona, the speakers of the House would say, hey, wait a minute. I'm a Republican. This isn't happening here. We're going to follow the law. So I just hope this is a one-off, this one president does this and no other president ever in the history of our country ever does this again because our democracy can't put up with it. And I feel like I'm living in Russia sometimes and I don't wanna live in Russia. I'd like to say a word uh, about this. Uh, the electoral college system in itself is suggestive and inviting of some uh, misdeeds. You go all the way back to uh, Thomas Jefferson's election uh, when his running mate was Aaron Burr. 
And then Aaron Burr decides that uh, he wants the presidency. And they go through some 30-some ballots to finally get uh, Jefferson or, or look at John Quincy Adams and having to go through uh, uh, so many ballots in the Electoral College. So there is a system that we have that if mischief is to be brought, uh, it can be done. In this particular case, if the issue is fraud, I think Mary is exactly right. There's no evidence of fraud. So let's get over it and get on with the transition to the new administration. Maybe we've got a uh, somebody will write a musical about the uh, uh, the Trump Biden um, uh, election, and uh, we all saw it starting right here. Uh, Senator Kasten, I'm sorry I cut you off, but we do have uh, time for one no, last go ahead. question. And I, I, I do want to call. I just on... wanted to say I just wanted to say that we've got a, a recount going on in Wisconsin right now. It's basically supported by both Republicans and Democrats. It's going to be over in in probably a week, and. Uh, I, I believe and I hope, but I, I basically believe that the question that was raised by the, uh, the questioner about the Electoral College and whether or not they will vote in the Electoral College the way their state voted uh, is, is, is not going to be a question. I think that uh, all the electors will vote the way their state voted, and I think that that's not going to be a question by the time the Electoral College votes. So let me give the last question to another former member, um, uh, Mark Kurtz of Pennsylvania, uh, and maybe we can ask Senator Hutchinson to be the first one to reply since uh, we haven't heard from him in a while, and then that will wrap things up. So, Congressman. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. Um, mine is more of a, a process kind of question is that uh, from my position here in Pennsylvania, I've seen and heard that the federal workforce is really suffering from some very low morale. Uh, we have many federal institutions that are lacking in leadership positions or in acting leadership positions. And as we've discussed, uh, you know, this is after the election, what's going forward. We have COVID, then the economy and all the things that are gonna uh, uh, come from that. And I'm just curious what, what you folks think about how do we move forward with this, this workforce that's suffering from low morale, lack of leadership, depleted and get the things done that we're going to need going to need to get done over the next six months to a year. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for the question. And I'll be very, very brief, but I think the the annual what has become an annual routine for the Congress to uh, allow the appropriations process to lapse, uh, to have to pass temporary funding mechanisms. Uh, that that is a big contributor to the lack of morale in our federal workforce. And we've got to get back to getting the appropriation bills done on a, on a timely basis, not going up to, to deadlines, not going up to recesses to force ourselves to act and then pass a 30-day uh, continuing resolution. I think that's a big part of the problem, and we're facing it again uh, right now as, uh, as, as Congress goes home for Thanksgiving. So with that, I'm going to wrap things up. And, and the first thing I'm going to do to wrap things up is invite the four of you to join us again, uh, maybe in February or March, and we'll do a, a, you know, the, the traditional 100-day review uh, and, and see 
uh, whether all the things we talked about today came to fruition or not. Um, but I do want to thank the four of you uh, so much for your time and energy and insight. Uh, this was a great conversation. Um, also want to thank everyone out there who watched this. Uh, as a former Chuck Grassley staffer, I also want to say that my thoughts go out to the Senator and, and I sure hope for a speedy recovery. Uh, he and, and other members who have caught COVID, uh, our thoughts are with you and your families. Um, but let me again thank you all for tuning in. Uh, great uh, example of what FNC is all about, which is bringing Republicans and Democrats together for a spirited, respectful, and pragmatic conversation. And you certainly awesome. achieved that. So thank you so much. I appreciate it.